It's time for your favorite game show, Name That Sauce! Get ready for your favorite host and mine. Here comes <laughs> Saucy Sam! Well, good morning, New Hope! How are we doing? My name is Saucy Sam, and welcome to your favorite game, Name That Sauce. This is the game where you name that sauce. We have somebody in the audience today who's going to be joining me. Stephen Vales, come on up. Where are you, buddy? Give Stephen a round of applause. Come on up, Stephen. So you know the name of the game. We're Primetime TV every Wednesday at 7. Sorry, I didn't have a big name tag for you today. Okay, so what we're going to do is we've got some famous hot sauces here. We've got five of them, and I'll show you. We've got Tabasco. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got Cholula. Cholula. And Cholula. We've got Frank's Red Hot. We've got Louisiana. And we've got Tapatio. So the name of the game, you're going to be blindfolded. I will hand you a cracker with sauce, and you have to try to pair the sauce on your cracker mm -hmm. to the correct brand. Okay. You feeling confident? Okay. Well, confidence is key to name that sauce. And you got a great crowd here today. Everybody give it for, up for Steven. All right, take three steps to your right. No, I'm just kidding. Don't go that way. <laughs> Come on over here, my friend. So those of you in the audience, here is what we're going to start with right here. You need to cleanse your palate? No, I'm good. Okay. Bring it. Bring it? Okay. And this isn't hot. There's no sneaky business going on. So give her a sniff, give her a taste. Let's see what we think. Smells like hot sauce. Mm -hmm. mm. You've got El Tapatio, Frank's Red Hot, Cholula, Tabasco, and Louisiana. I think that's Louisiana. Oh, give him a round of applause. <laughs> so far, you are... Be Is that a little spicy? You need some water? No, no. Okay, we're good. Okay, he's already beating our first gathering contestant. He went zero for five. <laughs> okay, this next one, I think you're in the home stretch. Okay, this one is one of my... Well, that's a hint. I'm not giving you that. Okay. Yes, and this might be in your fridge at home, friends. Distinct taste. Is that Frank's? It is! Ding, 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 ding! He puts it on everything, everyone. By the way, we're not endorsed by any of these products. Just That, that goes without saying. Okay, this one, I have a feeling... I'm feeling confident for you, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Kind of wishing I would have got a grand prize... Yeah, that would have been nice, huh? No, I just got to go back in my fridge. What are we thinking? That's the, the last one. Right? Okay, we've got uh, Tabasco, Tapatia, and Cholula. Oh, that's okay. Let's go back, back on the menu, okay? Let's see what we got going here. That's a big problem. I have it at home, too. Gets me in trouble. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and here is what he is trying. I think this will just be easy time. Easy time. Yeah, it's gross, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's see if we can go four for five, right? Take that on a spelling test. Okay. No. Give her a, give her a guess. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> That's the Tatalio. Yeah, Tatalio. It is ta Tapatio. Yeah. Woo! All right, Stephen. 
I got you a bottle of water. I don't know if you want it. Everybody give Stephen a round of applause. That's Name Your Sauce. Nothing. Woo. Hopefully a word from the Lord this morning. Amen. This didn't fit very well, by the way. All right. And that had shoulder pads. Did you see that? All right. So how's my screen look back there, Sean? I'll come in a little bit. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Isaac. So what is all this about, right? Here at New Hope, we like to have fun. Um, It's not every Sunday somebody gets up and dresses up and wears a wig, but it does happen more than once um, since I've been coming. So let's talk a little bit about hot sauce, okay? And if you've got your notes with you, you can get those ready. But all this hoobla about hot sauce, like what's the deal, Saucy Sam? I'll tell you, hot sauce is amazing, okay? You put it on everything, it makes your average meal a great meal. And I say this because I'm a hot sauce connoisseur. Do we have any other hot sauce people? Yes, amen, absolutely. Hot sauce takes that average enchilada, amazing, right? Heck, it takes an amazing enchilada and makes it better than whatever the word amazing is. Stupendous, right? I love hot sauce. So have you all ever heard of Edmund McElhenney? No, okay, I didn't think so. So this is the first person in the United States to produce hot sauce mass-produced hot sauce. So he would take Tabasco peppers, and he has this recipe, and it was actually, this is his company, like Tabasco is McElhenney's company. Um, And if you go on their their company website, it tells you the story, you know, and it's this cute story about how he invented it. But there's rumor out there, conspiracy, right, that his best friend, it was his recipe, and he died, and then he stole it. But you don't hear that from the company. So if you're a hot sauce conspiracy nut like me, You can nerd out over this stuff. We'll talk about it later, okay? So, and then if you look before Tabasco being the first one in the United States, you've got hot chilies in 1500 AD in mixtures in Spain. And then in 1542, chilies reached Asia and Japan. In 1570, the Turks introduced chilies to Hungary. Hungary? I can't talk. And then uh, reaching parts of Asia and Japan. And then 1543 to 1806, they began to hit the silk market and go worldwide. So everybody began to get some flavor, right? And then our boy Edmund, he comes onto the scene and makes a really gross hot sauce called Tabasco. Uh, And it says 1868. If you like Tabasco, I'm sorry. It's just not for me. That's okay. We can still be friends. So we're still talking about hot sauce, right? Why? I'm going to tell you, okay? This is in your notes. Thanksgiving is like hot sauce, okay? Y'all can write that down, and I'm going to explain, okay? Another thing you can do, you can say thankfulness is like hot sauce. Thankfulness is like hot sauce. It's a condiment you add to your meal that makes it amazing. Just like thankfulness, when you add some thankfulness into your life, it enhances your life. When you live in Thanksgiving, when you live with a thankful spirit, it makes your life better. Okay, now let me say cheeseburger. That sounds good, right? What about bacon cheeseburger? Mm, now we're talking, right? Thanksgiving is like that bacon. It enhances it. It makes it better. Or what about just pancakes by themselves? Does anybody eat pancakes by themselves? 
Okay, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to look over here. Okay, some fingers pointing. But when you add the maple syrup, yeah, or bacon, <laughs> right? Maybe bacon's just the great enhancer. Maybe we should have done a bacon sampling. But what I'm saying is thankfulness, when you choose it, when you add it to your life, when you live in it, it makes things better than they were before. It takes those bland things in life, you add a little bit of that, and it's like, bam, much better, right? Add some spice to your Christian life. Maybe for you this morning, you're kind of, no, I'm guilty. Oh, seriously, I got to go watch the marching band. It's like 17 degrees out, right? I got to go to this kid's soccer game. What we need to do is when we start to think like that, sprinkle on some thanksgiving. Be thankful that you have the opportunity to go to your kid's game. Heck, I mean, your car breaks down. Be thankful you have a car that breaks down and you're not riding a bike in 17 degree weather. That's what we're talking about when we say thanksgiving or thankfulness is like hot sauce. As Christ followers, we need to be using it to enhance our life. So I want to give you a definition. Does anybody know of a holiday that's coming up this week, Christmas? Yeah, Doug's wearing his Christmas sweater. He looks very handsome. <laughs> Too soon, Doug. <laughs> you look good, bud. So here's a definition in your notes. I'm mean. I'm sorry. Thanksgiving definition is a chosen attitude of gratitude that leads to soul wellness. And we're going to be in Luke 17 today. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and start turning there. But write this down. Thanksgiving is a chosen attitude of gratitude that leads to soul wellness. So as you're making your way to Luke 17, we're going to be in verses starting in verse 11. And we're going to look at a story, okay? And I love these kind of studies um, because I think there's a lot we can learn here today from them. So this is going to be Luke 17, um, starting in verse 11. It'd help if I put it on the screen for us. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and friends, okay? He was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. Um, a distance met him, okay? I'm sorry. So Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road to Jerusalem, which is the holy city. They're traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And then in verse 12, as they entered this village, they're met with 10 lepers at a distance, okay? And are we familiar with the biblical concept of leprosy? Because I know growing up in church, I've knew, known about leprosy, but I wanted to just take a moment and explain the severity of this sickness, of this disease, what people were actually living in culturally. So they're on their way, okay, to Jerusalem, the holy city. They enter the border. There's 10 lepers in the distance. Um, and this disease is a horrible disease, okay? It starts with like scalies, like on your face and stuff, and you get white specks on your eyes, your eyelids, and then it spread all over. And it was very painful, and it was a skin-eating disease that would eat you alive outside in. Okay, sorry, I'm not trying to be gross, but people with leprosy, they were known to lose limbs. They would rot off, you know, arms, toes, legs, because it was eating away at their nervous system, right? They would lose feelings. Um, and they, they smelled terrible, too. I mean, rotting flesh had a, a smell, right? They're like walking zombies. So they were literally smelling themselves decomposed. I, like, I cannot fathom the amount of fear and anxiety that this group was having, because you're just waiting and you're suffering until you die. 
And to make it even worse, like back then, like no modern medicine, anything like that, they had to culturally segregate themselves into these leper communities amongst themselves, and they would have to yell, unclean, unclean, so people without the disease wouldn't become infected, right? So you're looking at a social outcast group of people. But think about that for you. That means no hugs, okay? No graduation parties, no Christmas parties, I mean, other than with your sick friends, right? You couldn't walk around the town without people, like, looking at you, and you had to announce unclean, unclean. But what's really cool and what we're going to look at today is we see an outcast group of people come across Jesus. And it's cool to look at Jesus's response and also some things we can learn from our text. So they found Jesus, you know, looking back, um, and at verse 13, let's see what happens. <clears throat> Story continues. And they, this is the 10, they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So it says in verse before, they were far down the road, okay? They were maybe a few blocks away. It, like, of course they were. Like, this would have been normal for the time. Like, they didn't run up to him, like, right away. They yelled out, their situation's not great. They're calling out for mercy. Like, Lord, help us. We need help. Can you help us? So if you're taking notes today, I want to stop here for a moment because I think there's some things we can learn from these 10 sick men in Scripture regarding thankfulness and hot sauce and all that. So this is Sam's opinion. I believe there's two steps to having an attitude of gratitude, okay? Or having an attitude of thanksgiving or being a thankful person, and they're being modeled here in the text. So this is Sam's opinion. Number one, we need to recognize our need, church, okay? We're, we need to model what, what these sick men are doing. They're, this is a physical need, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about the context of our need here in a bit, but they're recognizing their need. We need to recognize our need. And these men also asked for help. And church, I'm bad at asking for help, okay? You do not go to Lowe's with me. I don't know where it's at, but I'm not asking for help. It's not just me. We do not like asking for help because it makes us feel weak. That's a whole separate sermon. I don't want to derail myself. So, Sam's opinion, okay? The first step towards an attitude of gratitude is to recognize our need, okay? And ask Jesus for help. Because think about the miracles that have happened in Scripture when a person has recognized that they need help, and then they do something about it. Like the woman with the bleeding disorder, okay? She realized she had a physical problem, so what did she do? She went after Jesus, right? She ran up and touched his cloak. The blind man on the side of the road, right? Very similar cry than these 10 lepers. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. In church, it's not just the physical. It's, do you remember Nicodemus? There's a spiritual aspect. Nicodemus had questions, and he went in the middle of the night and asked Jesus for help. He says, "How help me, I can't understand this. So church, what we need to do to live in an attitude of gratitude is to recognize our need as sinners for help and then ask for help. So let's continue on with the story. We got a lot more to go. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. Okay, so Jesus says to the lepers what would have been common for the day. He says to the 10 men, they recognize their need. They've asked for help. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. And for me, this is interesting because he is sending them to the priests before they were healed. 
And I'm going to explain this a little bit because there's kind of a flow is what we see in Leviticus of how this happens. So Jesus is kind of doing things out of order because ceremonially, like you would go to the priest and they would look at you and if you were determined healed, then they would proceed with the ceremony. Okay? And this was a ceremony for skin disorders. So the reason that Jesus is sending them to the priest is because this, like these people, they're still living like under the old covenants. And I know the gospels are in the New Testament, but none of this has changed until Jesus has died and rose again. But they're still living under these laws of Moses. And Jesus is commanding them to what's happening in Leviticus 13 and 14 to go show themselves to the priests. And if they have indeed been healed, then they would proceed on with the ceremonial cleansing. And if you're curious about this in Leviticus, I'm going to briefly explain this, and I, I would challenge you to go back and read Leviticus 13 and 14. And let me tell you, it, when you do your Bible reading plans, Leviticus is like the place I always struggle with. If you're trying to read like through the whole Bible, Leviticus is rough, okay? And I see some head nods. Go back and read 13 and 14, but I will summarize it for you this morning for the sake of time. So this is the law um, <clears throat> to Moses and Aaron, and to be ceremonial clean, cleansed from leprosy or skin disease, you would, like, go to the priest, okay, and he would take you outside of the camp, and if you had been determined healed, the priest would take two birds, both of, both of them alive, he would kill one bird over top of clean water, take the blood from the bird that they killed and dripped into the water, then he'd take the other bird while it's still alive, he would, like, put it on a plank or wrap it or do something like that, and then they would like dip it in the water and then let it drip seven times on the wounds and then let the bird go. That's like the 50,000 foot view. We could spend all morning doing a study on this ceremony, but this is kind of painting a picture. And, but what's even crazier is if you research this, there's imagery in the ceremony. Like Jesus, like the birds represented new life, the old and new, the vessel that was crushed represented Jesus's earthly body that could barely contain his godliness. Such a beautiful book, church. Go read Leviticus 13 and 14, and it, it, it's just fascinating. The Bible is not boring. But what Jesus is saying, he's, Jesus is sending them to the priest before they, were, they are healed. Okay, you guys get me? So, but he's saying this differently, and we're going to learn something. Jesus sends the ten men still sick with leprosy to begin the process of cleansing. And I believe that Jesus did this on purpose, and there's something we can learn about how these men responded to that commandment. Like, God, I'm still sick, and you want me to proceed with this ceremony? I think there's something we can learn. Because I believe that sometime Jesus, sometimes Jesus will put opportunities in front of people, okay, and these men too, where they have to believe that that miracle is going to happen. Okay, you have to take, I'll explain it this way, you have to take that step of faith first. You have to begin in obedience before Jesus shows up. We see it countless times in Scripture that Jesus puts opportunities in your path where that miracle is right there. It's right there, but you have to step out in obedience into it. You have to believe in faith that it's going to happen before you get to see it. Perhaps for you, maybe this miracle that you're waiting for is right around the corner. Maybe it's a healing. But God's asking you to believe and have faith and to just do it, to just trust, to prove that you believe it, 
to take that first step. Like these 10 men, they headed towards the priest before they were healed. They had faith that something was going to happen. They're on their way and they're looking down saying, oh, I haven't been healed yet, right? Think about that. We're going to continue here in a moment. Is there something that you need to do or some way you need to be obedient this morning? Think about that. Maybe for you, your marriage is struggling or it's finances. It could be an earthly issue and you're looking for a miracle. But God's telling us to do our part, to walk in obedience and to have faith that he will show up, church. Amen? Amen. Jesus left something for these 10 men to do and he does the same thing today. He leaves stuff for us to do, for ways for us to be obedient. Now, if these men, if they knew Leviticus at all, which I'm assuming they probably did, they would have thought, man, this is weird, right? Like, there's an order to do this cleansing, and Jesus is going out of order a little, right? I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, like, what I would have thought. Like, they were probably like, well, should we just go anyway? Like, the priest will probably turn us away. He'll meet us outside the camp and say, yo, you're still sick, right? What'd you come here for? And then, then what? We traveled all this way, and then now we're going to sit outside this city. But Jesus asked them to believe, to have faith, and to take that first step anyway. Second half, the miracle. So when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And here's where we're picking up. As they were going... <clears throat> they were cleansed, okay? So Jesus sent them. They were still sick, but on the way, they were healed. Think about this. I, I have like a cinematic, like a creative imagination, right? I don't know if these men were running to the priest or if they were walking, but I can imagine the excitement of when there's a group of 10 sick people and people start getting healed, right? Can you imagine watch, looking down and seeing skin and stuff? Like, I don't know exactly how it happened, kind of crazy to think about, right? Can you think of the excitement? They were probably walking and like, whoa, look at me! And then another guy's like, whoa, look at me! Right? They were probably super <laughs> excited, right? They're starting to think things like, wow, I can like be socially acceptable again. Like now that I'm clean, like I'm actually going to go to the priest now, go through the whole process. I can go back into town. I don't got to yell unclean, unclean. My fingers are going to stop falling off, right? Woo! We're talking about people that haven't hugged family, kissed family, they were shunned. Man, goosebumps, right? They were probably thinking, let's, get to, let's go see the priest as soon as we can because let's put this whole leprosy thing behind us. They're probably running, they're hustling. There's so much joy going on. And let's see what happens. And this is all, I'm reading in between the lines here. So verse 15. Now one of them, this is one of the 10, he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. So one of them saw and was amazed, right? So what's he do? He turns around, um, and, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, meaning Jesus, uh, and he was a Samaritan. We'll talk about that in a moment. So one man out of nine, he said, you know what? That ceremonial cleansing can wait. You know why? Because I am choosing to have an attitude of gratitude and going back and thanking the man that did this to me. Think about that. He ran and fell at Jesus' feet, was probably kissing his feet, just holding on, so thankful. Church, we need to give thanks to God 
when thanks is due. So here's kind of where it meets, meet the rubber meets the road today, okay? I think most of us in this room, are, we're good people, okay? Like we're sinners, but we are sometimes morally good people. And I think sometimes we are also good at being thankful, okay? I think as American culture, there's some things that keep us from being fully thankful. But I think most of the time, like if we're, we do a heart check, we're like the nine. Well, thank you, God. Thank you for showing up. I'll see you next time I need you. Okay? I'm speaking for myself too. I think sometimes we're, we're good at being thankful, but sometimes I think we're guilty of not giving thanks to the Creator. In church, I think a lot of this not to do a soapbox rant sermon, but I think entitlement in this culture is a big part of that. I think comfort is a big part of that. I know because I'm comfortable and entitled. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that because I'm a sinner too. Because I act entitled and I act thankful. I take God for granted all the time and I need to stop. We need to stop. How many of you guys have ever lost your cool, okay, or lost your temper over something really tiny? I think everybody's hands should go up, right? Got some liars. Perfect. Awesome. I'm going to tell you about last Thursday, not to brag, but to paint a picture of what I'm talking about, okay? It takes a lot to get me upset, okay? My wife's only seen me like really mad once. Um, but when I get upset, it's very bad. I work on that, <laughs> okay? That's my crutch. But I was really frustrated at work. Some things weren't happening right, and I work where I live, and I came home, and I was just emotionally drained, and I was crying, okay? It happens a lot. I was emotionally drained. I was physically drained. So um, <clears throat> I was kind of beat. So I come home from work, and it was one of those days where it was 30 degrees in the morning and 75 in the afternoon, and I was sick, yeah, that's just cruel, right? 30 degrees difference. So I wanted to know what the weather was before we left the house. So we have this wonderful thing called an Alexa in our house. And I'm like, yo, Alexa, what's the weather, bro? And then it just glows. And it spins. And it says, looking up local shopping in your area. It's not what I asked. But let me tell you, just that sent me over the edge. I was to the point I was going to grab her and throw her out the window because I did not know the weather. Or here's another one. How about, have you guys ever experienced when you're really, really, really mad, your belt loop gets stuck on the door? It always happens when you're mad. But here's, here's what I'm saying. There's things living inside of us. Entitlement, discontentment, things that shouldn't be living inside of us. And there's another thing we need to be practicing, and that is having an attitude of gratitude. And those two things cannot coexist inside of you. One is going to rule you. And I am very guilty of allowing ungratefulness, entitlement to rule my heart. Just because my Alexa, I couldn't wait five minutes to know the weather. Think about it. I'm entitled. I want what I want when I want it. I want convenience. I want my McDonald's cheeseburger in five minutes, not eight minutes, or it's going to be discounted, right? We are an entitled culture. And this is, this is where the rubber meets the road again, okay? This is our tension, because as Christians, we should, we should be thankful all the time. Why? Because we experience what these lepers have. We were in need, and yet Jesus came for us. So why do we take that for granted, right? And we're going to be doing a time of communion to remember that this morning. 
Church, we need to combat this entitlement, this comfort, everything, discontentment. In, in church, I know, I know a lot of people that just live negative lives, okay? I'm sure you probably know them too. Um, we're not going to point any fingers, but things happen. Negativity makes its way into the American household, and then it stays, okay? We, we, are, we are so good at focusing on even just the weather. Man, this weather sucks, right? Yeah, it's not great, but we allow this negativity into our home, and before long, our home becomes a negative place where all we talk about is the bad stuff that's happening in the world. What, how was your day at school? Oh, it stunk. So it creeps into our home, and before long, we get so unthankful, we get stuck, we get in a rut. And as we were planning for this morning and teaching team, or not this morning, Tuesday morning, Nikki brought up something that her family uses and other family have, have used. So I'm telling you this morning, if you are struggling with thankfulness, okay, even a little bit, uh, we want to give you a tool that'll help. Okay, so get a jar. Okay, this is step one. You can write it down if you want. It's pretty simple. Family together and write one thing you are thankful for and put it in that jar. You can call it the thankful jar, the happy jar, whatever you want to call it. And when those moments of discontentment sit in, if you are a parent and you are just so frustrated with the way the world's going and politics or whatever you're getting fired up about, your Alexa's acting up, rather than choosing to blow your lid or being discontent, take the lid off that jar and pull out a piece of paper and read something. It might be something your kid wrote. That's going to bring a smile to your face that they're thankful for because it might be you. Or maybe you wrote it a week before and you're thankful for your job. Or you're thankful for the new siding that got put on your house. Or you're thankful for your car. Church, this is how we get out of these ruts. So if you're struggling with that, I challenge you to, to implement that this week at the Thanksgiving table. If you want to live and have a thankful family and a thankful house, you have to be proactive. Or this entitlement, discontentment is going to make its way into your home. You have to choose to have an attitude of gratitude. The discontentment comes naturally. You with me? We have to fight against it. So in your notes, um, you'll see Thanksgiving challenges for this week. I'm giving y'all homework, okay? I'm sorry. I know some of us get some work off this week, but I'm giving you homework, okay? Just like a good school teacher. So there's three things I want to challenge y'all to do, either at the Thanksgiving table or while you're sitting around. Um, because we're, we're going to be naturally being thankful anyway, right? What a good time to start is Thanksgiving, right? Hopefully it'll be a little easier for us. So the first thing I challenge you to do this week, number one, is in everything, give thanks. Write that down in your notes. Everything, give thanks. And if you're a parent, this is great stuff you need to be talking about at your Thanksgiving table this week. Tell your children, you know what? We're not going to be thankful just on Thanksgiving. We're going to be thankful every day. Right? We're going to be thankful not just every day, but 24-7 every day. We're going to be thankful at all times. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in everything. That means if I had a bad day and my car broke down and I hit a deer, guess what? Be thankful. It's hard to do. And this is going to be a hard week for a lot of people. Because I know with a heavy heart, like this will be some people's first Thanksgiving without a loved one. And I'm, I'm truly sorry. And that's really hard. It's hard to be thankful 
in those moments, guys. It is a huge calling. So my heart goes out to you. It really does. And we'll be praying for you as church leadership because this is a difficult season. So I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be just up front with y'all. Like this, this is going to be a hard season for some people, okay? This is a hard calling for everyone. So number one, in everything, give thanks. Number two, okay, in your notes, be filled with thankfulness, okay? Be filled with thankfulness. And I'm going to tell you something about what happens when you're filled with thankfulness, okay? If you are truly filling yourself with thankfulness, you begin to attack anxiety, okay? I'm going to tell you firsthand I've experienced this because thankfulness is a weapon against anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 um, says this. Did I skip this? You guys are all caught up with this, right? I'm sorry. Nope, okay. Yeah. All right, get caught up. I'm sorry. Give you a moment. Talking about what being filled with thankfulness looks like. All right, if you guys are caught up, yell hot sauce for me. Yes. Perfect. Excuse me. So this is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpass all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Nikki talked about this a few weeks ago. But in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The key word, thanksgiving. I would argue that thankfulness is a weapon or a tool that God has given us to combat anxiety. And church, I don't tell a lot of people this. I don't like to brag about a weakness or deficiency in myself, but I fight anxiety, okay? I, I do, okay? It's just I've fought it for 10, 15 years. Um, I've experienced it. It's controlled my life at points. It has brought me to my knees in tears. It has told me that I am not even worth being alive, okay? So I, I've experienced anxieties in my life and paralyzed me in fear, and church, I hate it. So I don't know if you're like me and you experience anxiety, but I'm here to tell you something that I've experienced when I experience this anxiety is to fill yourself with thankfulness. Because when we choose that, when we choose to be thankful in our circumstances, it begins to attack the anxiety within you. You have to be thankful with your request for peace when we prayer and petition. And this is just one tool to attack anxiety, and anxiety is just a monster in its own. And I'm sorry if you've had to experience that too. It is horrible. But this week, this is just something that has worked for me. Okay? Fill yourself with thankfulness, and it will combat your anxiety. Teach your kids that this week. We are an anxious generation, all of us. To be thankful 24-7. Give them the tools they need to succeed. And then number three, if you're taking notes on your Thanksgiving challenges for this week, to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's your fill-in-the-blank. Psalm 116.17 says, Lord, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you, and call on the name of the Lord. We need to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving, even when we don't feel like it. When things don't seem right, I mean, heck, when things aren't going right. 
when we just got laid off or our car breaks down or you get sick, what's the first thing we need to do, church? It's countercultural. It's not, woe is me, this is sad, let me post on Facebook. It's, no, you know what, God? I'm thankful for Jesus. Thank you. It's countercultural, church. This is a big calling. So back to our text. Uh, we're going to look at the end of verse 16 um, specifically. Sorry. Man, we got to go way back there. Talking about this Samaritan. Okay, why is that in there? Okay, so he was a Samaritan. So he was and a leper. So he was kind of like a double outcast, right? I mean, you've got a leper and a Samaritan. That's kind of like double trouble, right? So when I was in high school, this is very unfortunate and it's very sad, but there was a loser table. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm going to call it what it was. And it's horrible and it shouldn't be a thing, okay? This would be the kid that wouldn't even be at that table, right? So we're talking so socially, like, out there. Like, this, this guy wasn't welcome anywhere. He was sick and a Samaritan. And to make it worse, like, we all know the Jewish people hated Samaritans because they were racist, and that is completely wrong. Um, and this dude had a disease where he couldn't even go near people. So we know Samaritans, they're descendants of both the people of Syria and Israel, and they, they believed in the books of Moses, but not the rest of the Old Testament. And, like, all around Israel, like, they were viewed super negatively, um, and in John 8, 48, Jesus was even, like, derogatorily called a Samaritan as an insult. So it was like a dirty word, a potty word, you know? Like, you called people that. It, it was an insult. And then, of course, like, we all know, like, the parable that he told about the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. But what's cool is Jesus is so countercultural. What he's doing in these moments is he's actually changing the definition of the word Samaritan. It's a derogatory used word in scripture. It was thrown around to insult people, but Jesus changed the definition of the word Samaritan so much. If you were to pull out your phone and Google Samaritan right now, the definition would be a good person who helps someone else. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus transforms church, amen? Jesus transforms. He did it then and he does it today. And, and to remember, the Jewish people, they had no interactions with Samaritan people. They had no interactions with the lepers. They hated Samaritan people. So back to our story, nine people, nine of the sick lepers that were healed, went to go see the priest. But one person chooses to go back. And this is the outcast of outcasts, the Samaritan leper. In church, I wish I knew what this man was thinking, running back to Jesus, or walking, or traveling back, because he knew Jesus was a Jew, right? That's a little bit of tension, right? A man that just healed him that is supposed, culturally supposed to hate him. I wonder if he was a little anxious about that interaction, right? I would be. What are other people going to say? Like, I am a Samaritan after all, and we don't get along. I wonder if this man, he was doubting himself. Like, listen, a great thing just happened. I am healed. Why don't we just take this and go with it? because I don't want to mess this up, right? I don't want this to be awkward, you know? Maybe if Jesus finds out a Samaritan, he'll take away the healing. Maybe this stuff was going on in his head. We don't know. But he chooses to be different, okay? He goes back and gives thanks anyway. And church, this is the story of the gospel. How awesome is it that the outcast of the outcast got healed? That's the gospel. 
so alone, so broken, the one all by himself, body rotting, just hoping he would die, turned around, ran to Jesus' feet, screamed, thank you, tears in his eyes, holding on to Jesus' feet. That is the good news of Jesus, church. And then in verse 17, continuing on, we got some time left. <laughs> We're doing pretty good. Jesus responded and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. He's got to point it out. He goes, where are the other nine? <laughs> right? Where are they? And he said to the guy in verse 19, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus is showing us it's not the attitude of gratitude it's not the thanksgiving within him that makes him well, because we can't earn soul wellness. We can't earn salvation. It was this man's faith in Jesus and obedience that made him well, physically and spiritually. We see in scriptures and stories like this in parables, and we, we see it in today's culture too, that only a few people thank Jesus personally. And only a few people will experience Jesus powerfully because of that. Think about that. Nine people ran to the priest. One person, just one, ran back to actually experience Jesus' power. An attitude of gratitude didn't make him well. Faith made him well. Ten people in our text today physical sickness. One person was made well. His soul was made well. Nine of the men, they were healed, and they, they kept running to the priest because they thought their only problem was leprosy. One man found out that there was a bigger problem at play. His soul. The nine lepers got something from Jesus. One leper got Jesus. That's what's happening. Nine of them left thinking they got the best deal ever. I just got healed. I can get my life back. But one person thanked Jesus personally and experienced him powerfully. So church, who do you think got the better deal? The one. Absolutely. Jesus changes everything. Jesus continues to heal people. He continues to transform people today. He continues to renew them spiritually. The greatest thing that happened to this man was not his physical healing. It was the saving of his soul through faith. So what does that mean for us today? It's, it's great to come to church. It's fun to put on a wig and a shirt that's too small and do a hot sauce game show and and learn about gratitude. But how does this news of Jesus actually impact your life? Okay, these are all great things to practice, but you have a decision to make when it comes to Jesus. And I'll tell you, God is calling each and every person in this room to remember that you were the leper. <clears throat> you were healed, and you should be thankful. And that's if you've accepted that gift of salvation. You were dead in sin, apart from God, but God loved you so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross so we can have eternal life with him if we allow him into our lives. God chose to make things right, but we have to choose it. We have to walk in obedience. 
So we can go ahead and dim our lights in here, and we're going to move into a time of reflection, a time of communion, a time of challenge. This is where the story intersects with our lives today. You have the opportunity to be cleansed, to be forgiven. You no longer have to be living as an outcast alone. You can be adopted to the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's the flesh that gives birth to flesh, but the spirit must give birth to spirit. When you and I receive what Jesus did on the cross, we accept his payment for our sins. The Bible says his whole spirit comes to live within us, and we are given new birth, and we are born again. In church, we know that this isn't something you can do. It's not something you can earn. It's something that's already been done. If you want this gift, if you feel like an outcast, if you want soul wellness, if it's time you turn around and actually thank God for showing up in your life, you're going to have an opportunity in the morning. If you want to experience Jesus radically, if you want a radical transformation this morning, we're going to pray right now. And you can have it. It's an opportunity to accept a gift. And what we do is we, we pray. And it's not a special prayer with like a special script from a special person on the stage. It's a prayer from you to God from your heart. And if you want this gift, if you want this radical transformation, pray this prayer with us. And it doesn't have to be word for word. Speak these words from your heart inviting Jesus into your life. So if you want Jesus this morning, if you see a need, ask him. Okay, so let's, let's bow our heads and, and let's, let's pray. And if you want Jesus this morning, pray a prayer like this or, or pray this one from your heart. Say, say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short. I know that I can't earn and I don't deserve this gift of salvation. God, I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Jesus, I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you into my heart. I want to trust and follow you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. So if you've made this confession today, if you've asked Jesus into your life, we would love to know about it. We want to come alongside of you to celebrate with you. Please mark it on your Connect card. Let somebody know. We want you to be plugged in. We want, to, we want you to be a part of our family. That's why we come every week. Nobody forces us to be here. We come because we experience Jesus together. And if you experience Jesus this morning, let us know. So a, another way we reflect is through